from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. John the Baptist appeared, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of the one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and honey. At that time, Jerusalem, all of Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from this coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now, the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing with water for repentance. But the one who was coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So during this season of Advent, it's utterly an amazing season, by the way, because during the season of Advent, the whole theme is getting ready. Getting ready. Because we're getting ready, and you'll see this posture, we've switched, if you remember from last year, we've switched to what's called the ad orentum posture at Mass, meaning that I will be facing, we have two options as priests to celebrate the Mass, one face when I'm facing you, and the second, more ancient posture is facing the same direction as you towards what's called the liturgical east. Because we're all now, we're all facing direction, and again, it relates perfectly with the theme of Advent. We're waiting for the coming, the second coming of Jesus. And so the posture of the church has always been looking together towards this coming. If you were going to go to Mass 500 years ago, and you would have walked into the church those centuries, five centuries before, the priest would have been facing the same direction as you at Mass. If you were going to Mass in the 10th century, no matter where you went in the world, same thing. 
That priest would have been facing the same direction as you. If you were going to go to Mass in the year 130, same thing. The priest would have been facing the same direction as you. And so when I discovered this posture of adorantism, I actually I loved it. Because utterly ancient. And this would have been how your ancestors would have celebrated Mass, by the way. But not only that. If we were pious Jews before the coming of Jesus and we went to the sacred temple in Jerusalem, the high priests would have been offering the sacrifices, the Holy of Holies, in that same direction towards the east. So when Christianity finally arrives on the scene, our ancient ancestors inherited that posture of worship. Because, my friends, we're getting ready. And Jesus says, we don't know the hour nor the day when he comes back. We don't know. And the season of Advent is this anticipation. All right, to reflect. When Jesus comes, will I stand in judgment before him and be ready and confident? But there's also within our own lifetimes. I was reading a recent study not too long ago, and the study said that 100% of us will die. (laughs) Right? 100% of us, all of us. And so, we will all meet Jesus within our own lifetimes. And so the church has given us this pivotal season now to look and to wait and to seriously examine ourselves. Am I ready to meet the Lord? I want to propose a way for us to get ready. Because we all know when Christmas is. It's on a Wednesday this year, December 25th. And we're all getting ready for Christmas. You're all doing your Christmas shopping. Everyone's getting ready for your Christmas dinners. You're all planning your your beautiful plans, your traditions. May I propose something to you that sounds a bit morbid? Imagine now on December 25th, you will die. December 25th, Christmas morning, your time on earth will come to an end. Now, with that in mind, with that pending day, how will you live differently? You see, part of death, as, as hard and as scary as it is, is actually, it's actually a beautiful gift. Because death has a powerful way of cutting through all of the garbage and the clutter of our lives that, are, that don't even really matter. And it brings us to focus on what truly is important. Death has that power of forgetting. It focuses us. So now, knowing, imagine, on December 25th, you will die. How will your life change now? Do you sense that urgency? Do you hear that? And it's precisely the same urgency which, in our beautiful gospel today, we're given this, this strange figure of St. John the Baptist. And it said here, if you notice in the details, it said that John the Baptist, that it said all of the region of Judea, 
All of Jerusalem came to see him. My friends, this would have been this would have numbered in the thousands. So in a sense, it gives us the question: what compelled thousands upon thousands of people to go see John the Baptist? What was, in a sense, their urgency? So let's let, let's imagine ourselves now. Let's imagine ourselves Jews again. Let's become first century Jews. Because all of the details in the gospel today, for the first century Jew, it would not have been lost upon them. They would have immediately recognized it. Oh, I know that. And you begin to see why the sense of urgency that the Jews had here. So let's go back into time. Let's imagine now we're there. Notice the first line of the gospel. It said that John the Baptist appeared in the desert. He was one, one crying out in the desert. Immediately, every Jew would have known. Desert, desert, desert. They would have been immediately reminded of the book of Exodus. And that powerful, life-changing event when Moses now takes the 12 tribes of Israel who were enslaved in Egypt in that mighty Pharaoh in that amazing civilization which built the pyramids, they were the slaves, they were the workforce of that civilization. And then Moses enters the scene and he takes the Jewish people enslaved by that power and he frees them from slavery and they wander in the desert for 40 years. So they immediately would have said, ah, the desert, ah, Exodus, Moses. And in order to lead them to the promised land, which, by the way, if you're familiar with politics, if you ask yourselves, why are the Jews of today so tenacious about holding on to Israel? If you look at a map of Israel, they are surrounded by countries that want to destroy them. And they have one of the most powerful militaries on earth, the Israelis do. Why are they so good at fighting? Why don't they just leave? Well, because that little plot of land for them was given to them by God. The promised land. That is why our brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith are so tenacious in fighting for that land, even though they're surrounded by huge, huge countries that wants to literally kill them. And so immediately back to the first century, they would have recognized, ah, Exodus. And then notice the next detail. Where is John the Baptist baptizing? Which river? The Jordan River. Immediately again, every first century Jew would have recognized. Hmm. That sounds familiar to me. The book of Joshua, chapter 4. Joshua, chapter 5. In that book, that is where it describes the Jewish people. When they finally reach the promised land, they come to the Jordan River. And it's from this spot that they crossed into the promised land. All 12 tribes of them. It ended... Their exodus ended at the Jordan River when they inherited the promised land for them. But also, what they also remembered, in the first century, the Jews were waiting now. They were waiting for a prophet. And they all understood this. That God would, at the end of time, would send a new prophet into the world. And to lead them to a new exodus. To set them free from their ultimate enemy. And so all the Jews are in the first century are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this new person. 
And so all of a sudden, when John the Baptist appears, who's crying out in the desert, who's at the Jordan River, they're immediately saying to themselves, are you this prophet that we're waiting for? Are you him to lead us now to the new promised land? So that's all the anticipation leading to this moment. And then, notice the strange next line. It describes John who wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Why that detail? Why, why is John wearing this, by the way? I don't know about you, but have you ever smelled a camel? <laughs> I don't know if you ever sniffed one, but they're disgusting. They smell. And John the Baptist is wearing camel's hair, so John the Baptist would have stunk, by the way. So why is he wearing this? But if you're a first century Jew, you knew the significance of his outfit. They would have immediately remembered, ah, 2 Kings. You see, in 2 Kings, it describes the prophet Elijah, one of the most powerful prophets of the Old Testament. And in 2 Kings, it describes the outfit of the prophet Elijah. Guess what he's wearing? Camel's hair and a leather belt. And then the first century Jew would have said, huh, you remind me of the prophet Elijah. That's huge. Why? Again, the first century Jew would have said, ha, the book of Malachi. In the book of Malachi, it describes in a future time when in the end of the world is near, God will send a new prophet Elijah into the world. To usher in the new kingdom. Now all of a sudden there was no doubt in the first century Jews' mind. John the Baptist crying out in the desert. John the Baptist at the Jordan River. John the Baptist, the new Elijah wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. And John the Baptist says to them, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now do you begin to see why thousands upon thousands of people immediately woke up and said, the time has come. The time has come now. The prophet who we've been waiting for for centuries has arrived. And all oh, by the thousands they went to be baptized. Notice now John the Baptist as he's baptizing people. He says he, saw, he sees the Pharisees and Sadducees. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the elite class of the Jewish people. They were the educated class. They knew their faith in and out. And when John the Baptist sees them, he immediately chastises them, calls them, you vipers, you slithering snakes. Why does he get mad at them, by the way? He gets mad at them because they presume that they're going to heaven. Don't they? They presume, it says here, and John the Baptist straight up tells them. He says, you presume to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father, meaning we're going to inherit the new kingdom. He says, no. God will judge you by your actions. That is why he says to them, repent. Repent now. Because what he's reminding them, and the same message to us, 
Our actions have consequences. Our behavior has eternal ramifications. We tend to think, oh, that my sins are just, are just here and, and, and nobody knows about my sins because I'm locked in my room or no one knows about it. No. All of our actions has consequences. And so John the Baptist is trying to warn them and therefore us. He says, no, repent of your sinful behavior now. Because if you presume that you're just going to go into, you're going to belly flop into heaven, right? You're just going to flop into heaven. Not so. You must first acknowledge, humble yourself that I am a sinner and repent. Because the one that I'm preparing for, who's coming after me, and I love that beautiful line, he recognizes humility, John the Baptist. He says, I am not even worthy to carry his sandals. The sandals are the dirtiest part on the human body for the Jew. Do you see now, my friends, in this beautiful gift of Advent, we have that powerful opportunity now to honestly reflect on our lives and to ask, have I really loved God with all my heart, with all my strength, and all my soul? Do I put God first in my life? And if not, now is the time. How are my relationships with my family? Are there any grudges that I hold? Are there any animosity that, that we still carry? Do I have any unforgiveness? As painful as it is, forgive. Let it go. Are we lacking anywhere in our lives? Now is the time. And so, my friends, in the heart of Advent, we take an honest look at ourselves. Because on December 25th, we will die and now live accordingly. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.